Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. second hour of mornings with Carmen today and possibly the the I I don't want to overstate this Paul but I'm tempted to say the worst news out of the pandemic yet that would be kind of that would sound that might be hyperbole okay it feels like possibly the worst news out of the pandemic yet um it it looks as if snow days are no more no no. Like, hey, do you have a snow day memory from when you were growing up? Of like my husband I do. Jim, he grew up in LaPorte, Indiana, and let me tell you, his his the chronicling of snow days, he's still it, like you see a flake outside and he starts reminiscing about snow days when he was a kid. So give us a snow day memory when you were a kid. Well, my favorite one was, you know, the when the school would call it because all the forecasts were bad and by afternoon it was sunshine and fine and <laughs> hardly any snow fell and we're just kind of yes. So <laughs> Right. It was was a mental health day for us students. Mm -hmm. You know, it just they came at a nice time. Mm hmm. Yeah. And so um, here's the uh, here's the over and under on no more snow days. Uh, Now that school districts have uh, become adept at delivering what they perceive to be education via technology into everyone's homes. Uh, they are saying, hey, these platforms will continue to be up and running and we don't have any need for snow days. Particularly this year, they're going. They've they've actually gone ahead and removed all the snow days for this academic year. Many many uh, school districts across the country, so that they can make that requisite number of days because they missed so many days um, for COVID related things in the in the ramp up. But let me just let me just caution a couple of things here, as you school administrators and politicians out there making decisions about no more snow days. Um, I recognize that it means that you don't have to have makeup days at the end of an academic semester or you don't have to eat into, let's say, spring break. But it also assumes that you're going to provide ongoing uninterrupted access to those devices and to those Internet hotspots, which you're currently only providing under, like, the COVID crisis management system. So you better keep that in mind because you can't you can't very well say there's not going to be any snow days if kids aren't going to have ongoing access to all those Chromebooks that you passed out on loan um, or to those Internet hotspots that you talked uh, AT&T and Verizon and others into <laughs> supplying in all of those rural areas um, that don't have Internet access on a regular basis. Also, you know, if you're going to have inclement weather and that's the reason that you might have considered not having school, you're probably also going to have some weather related power outages and Internet interruptions in your district And so really, there's going to be kids who are really put at a disadvantage. And then finally, maybe the most important point, kids and teachers and parents, hey, hey, we need some unscheduled breaks. We need to have some unplanned fun. And you are stealing that. Yeah. Uh, There you go. Ask my wife, who's a second grade teacher, Carmen. Those are mental health days, even for the teachers. Those children are going to be monsters when they (sighs) come back from a day that should have been a snow day. And they're just angry at their teacher and at school 
I'm just, uh, yeah, let's just give them a break. Let's just give them a break. There you go. All right. That's Carmen's commentary on those of you considering the cancellation of snow days. Uh, There you go. There's my my snow day advocacy. All right. Up next, we've got Dr. Jeff Barrows from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. We're going to have all kinds of conversations about health and faith. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Dr. Jeff Barrows from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You can find uh, much of what we're going to talk about today at cmda.org, in particular, our conversation about uh, the president's uh, baby born alive executive order, which we're going to get to in just a minute. Jeff, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Good to be with you again. Well, thank you. It's wonderful to have you. Let's talk a little bit about life expectancy and maybe some expectations due to uh, due to COVID-19, life expectancy around the world. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. There have been some studies looking at uh, what the impact of COVID-19 has been on life expectancy in various countries, and they've actually gotten it down to the point where they look at what prevalence rate is necessary for COVID-19 to decrease the life expectancy in a particular country. And for example, in, in North America, it's gonna, they've calculated that it takes about a 10% prevalence rate of COVID-19 to decrease the life expectancy for us here in the United States by one year. Now, what's interesting in looking at this, uh, this study is that you might think, okay, a, a smaller prevalence in, in certain underdeveloped countries are gonna, is going to cause a, uh, a greater uh, lessening of the life expectancy, but it's actually the opposite because hmm. these countries already have a much less life expectancy than we have here in the United States. So, for instance, our, our average life expectancy in the U.S. is about 78 and a half years, whereas in a country like Nigeria, which I've visited several times, it's only 54 years. And so uh, it's going to take a, 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 about a, a prevalence rate of about 15 percent to have an impact of a year uh, in Nigeria. See, that's fascinating. I don't think that uh, I don't think we're prone to think about things that way. So that's uh, whenever we talk about life and life expectancy, uh, Dr. Barrows, I'm I'm always tempted to, uh, you know, insert into that conversation for Christians that my life expectancy is that I'm going to live forever. So mm-hmm. the um, the transhumanists really have nothing on me. Um, I just think that it is in terms of like, right, provoking conversations among people of faith with people who are you know, really concerned about whether or not that number is 55 or 72 or 84 or 150. My life expectancy is that I'm going to live forever. I'm going to I'm going to live now uh, recognizing that this body is a gift and I need to be a good steward of it. But I also recognize that um, this life literally is not is not all there is that I I have a life expectancy that uh, reaches beyond this mortal flesh. Absolutely. You know, there's so much emphasis put on 
not just by the world, but I think uh, too often in the church we can err into putting too much emphasis on the life in this world without thinking eternally, without thinking with an eternal perspective that looks at, yes, as you said, we are to be stewards of the life that we are given in this world to make sure we're doing what the Lord wants us to do. And if we happen to have a, a good life expectancy, a, a longer period of time, the Lord gives us the, the blessing of good health to live a good life, uh, that's terrific. But it certainly doesn't take anything away from uh, those countries that have a shorter life expectancy. And maybe, in fact, they have a little bit of an advantage in that they try and get a lot more done in that shorter period of time. So let's um, let's talk about um, our need to work out not only our faith with fear and trembling, but our actual bodies. Um, what's the advantage? Well, what's a what's at least one more advantage? One more advantage of a good workout. You know, there's an interesting article that looked at the association of exercise and memory, and. Uh, as someone who is a regular exerciser myself, I was fascinated by this article. And it, it and it isn't just one study. It really is several studies. Uh, and that's what really, as a physician, makes me pay attention more to an article. When an article kind of gathers together the data from uh, several different studies, and in this particular case, it was 13 studies, they looked at various types of exercise like walking or running or biking, and they found that if they did high-intensity exercise, it had a positive effect both on the ability to learn and, and, and remember things, but also on the ability to do some certain complex cognitive functions like planning or problem-solving. And uh, I, I'm somebody that loves to, to run. I run on the treadmill every day as, uh, around noon if I can. So what this article did for me was encourage me to continue to do that because this boosts my, my, my thinking, my memory, and cognition for about two hours, especially if I engage in about 45 to 60 minutes of intense exercise. I'm talking with Dr. Jeff Barrows. He is an OBGYN. He's also the Christian Medical and Dental Association Senior Vice President for Bioethics and Public Policy. We're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about um, something that the CMDA just uh, posted yesterday, and that is some advocacy related to President Trump's Baby Born Alive executive order. Um, and encouraging those of us who are concerned about life uh, to um, to talk to our members of Congress about passing related legislation. So that conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Jeff Barrows from the Christian Medical and Dental Association is joining me now. Um, Jeff, let's talk about um, this, uh, this statement that you guys issued yesterday uh, in relationship to the president's executive order on care for newborns. 
Yeah, this was a, an executive order that didn't get a lot of attention uh, on Friday Shocking. and over the weekend. Yeah, uh, well, I'm sure a lot of it had to do with the, the, the buzz in the media around Judge Barrett's nomination to the Supreme Court. But for those of us who are pro-life and, and really value life, I think this was an important step forward. And it's called the, the Executive Order on Protecting Vulnerable Newborn and Infant Children. And what it does is it, it emphasizes the obligations that hospitals and clinics have to provide stabilizing treatment to infants who may have been born alive after an abortion or may have been born with severe but not life-threatening disabilities or may have been born at a significantly premature age. And, you know, you would think that here in the United States, we wouldn't need uh, this kind of an executive order that would you know, state, listen, you need to take care of these children. Um, but that's not the case. The reality is really very different. And as an example, there are three former employees of an abortion clinic that testified in 2013 that the doctor they worked under in Texas actively killed babies that had been born alive after an abortion. And unfortunately, there are only six states out of the 50 in the U.S. that report on infants and what happens to them if they happen to be born alive after an abortion. So, in fact, the CDC did a study looking at those six states and trying to, to get the numbers of how many babies this happens with. And they found 143 babies that had been born alive and then subsequently passed away. And unfortunately, the cause was not provided. So we've gone through this time where this isn't really actively pursued by the federal government. And so I think this executive order is an excellent new protection for these so vulnerable babies. So I'm reading right now uh, at cmda.org, um, a press release just put forward yesterday, um, the the doctors at CMA are lauding the president's executive order on the care for newborns and calling on Congress to pass related legislation. Talk with us about why an executive order is one thing, but legislation would be another thing. Well, one thing that the president unfortunately can't do is make the um, the killing of these newborns, these premature infants, really uh, even you would think it would be murder, but he can't criminalize it. Only legislation can criminalize this. And so what we're seeing happening around the country is, in fact, a, a form of passive euthanasia where if a baby happens to be born alive after an abortion or uh, severely premature, even though they have a good chance of survival if they're resuscitated, they're put off to the side and just just not really cared for and allowed to die on their own. And if Congress were to take this up they could make that form of passive euthanasia illegal. And in fact, uh, there was an effort to do that by Senator Ben Sass, and he had created the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, and this was in 2019. And this would, would have caused it to be a, a, a five-year penalty and would have criminalized the action, but unfortunately it failed to pass our Congress. All right, I am talking with Dr. Jeff Barrows from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You can find that portion of our conversation at cmda.org. encourage you to check that out. You can actually see where your member of Congress stands on these particular issues, and you can uh, advocate with them as you feel so led. 
Um, let's talk about this other article that you sent me, and this is about PTSD and how it might be tied to greater dementia risk. Um, this seems particularly important as we're kind of all experiencing um, some some trauma of some various kind related to COVID. Yeah, this is a little bit concerning, especially, as you mentioned, for people that have been traumatized. And what they found in this particular study is that those who have had a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, were up to two times more likely to develop dementia. And uh, if you're looking at this in terms of numbers of people, and again, this was a study that had looked at several other studies, up, up to 13 studies from 14 from four continents. And they found that the, those who had a, a diagnosis of PTSD had a 61% chance, higher chance of dementia many years later. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that there seemed to be some preliminary evidence that if the PTSD had been treated, it seemed to reduce that risk of dementia. So when um, when we use the term dementia, I think that um, we need to pause there and sort of be sure we define what we're talking about because, uh, you know, I'm I'm aware that there's just this wide range of memory-related challenges, um, and dementia is just one category. Yeah, it's a it's a general term, and I think they kept it this way on purpose mm. in the article. They did not subdivide into the various types of dementia that might come from, for instance, Alzheimer's or Parkinson's syndrome. Uh, they were really looking at uh, the ability to recognize people that they should know and and their ability to retain long-term memories. We we all lose our ability to unfortunately retain short-term memories, but we usually, if we don't have any form of dementia, can maintain the ability to remember uh, memories, for instance, from our youth. So, Jeff, let's um <clears throat> let's be sure that we remind people who are listening right now um, who the Christian Medical and Dental Association is and why. People of faith who are medical professionals of one variety or another um, ought to be checking out cmda.org. Well, thank you for that, Carmen. Uh, yes, we're right now we're an organization of uh, around nineteen to twenty thousand members. Uh, all of the medical missionaries around the world, regardless of their denominational background, regardless of where they are serving, are actively involved in CMDA because of all the resources we provide them. So that's one of the many things we do. We're very involved as well in putting together ethics statements on various issues that people normally don't think about. Uh, for instance, we've been working uh, recently on updating our ethics statements on transgenderism. You know, what what, what does the Bible say about transgenderism? And I know a lot of young people right now are, are in a place where they're kind of confused about this. Is this something that we, we, should, we should be endorsing or is it something we shouldn't be? So we're very involved in putting together statements on various ethical stances. We're encouraging medical students on every medical school campus around the country. We have residents that are involved. So I could take probably 20 minutes to talk about all the various ministries of CMDA. So I would encourage any Christian healthcare professional that is uh, is interested in in growing in their faith and having an impact uh, in the act in the practice of medicine to check us out at cmda.org. 
Absolutely. Dr. Jeff Barrows, thank you so much as always for joining us. We really, we really appreciate it. It's joy to be with you. Thank you, Carmen. Thank you. We gotta take a break for Breakpoint. We'll be right back. The kids will not be fine. Um, you and I need to recognize our responsibility not only to attend to our own spiritual lives and the way that we walk out our faith with fear and trembling in the world, but but how who we are and how we live as Christians is influencing the children around us. And I'm not just talking about, because some of you are now saying, well, I don't have kids in my house right now. Uh, that is true, but you do have a sphere of influence in which children um, roam, even if they're just roaming around the edges of your yard, um, you have a sphere of influence over children. There are children within your reach, and um, Christ would very much like for you to be the kind of person unto whom they would be drawn um, positively, with whom they would seek not only counsel but comfort and consolation. Kids need, need mature adults to walk with them. Life is confusing and scary, and so um, let's let's consider how we can uh, discipline ourselves in order that we might uh, have among our disciples people in the next generation. All right, next up, I've got Jan Johnson. You know her as a Bible study uh, teacher and an author of I don't know a couple of dozen uh, books and study guides. She is um, renewing the six-session Life Guide Bible Study. It's available now in the Life Guide Bible Study series, Prayer and Listening, and she is going to be here with us next. John chapter 4 and verse 47 describes a father who had a sick son. He went and he begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. This is Max Lucano. Straightforward, urgent. The official had a request and a plan of action. In his mind, the two would walk side by side from Cana to Capernaum. The response of Christ surprises us. Will you never believe me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? He waved a caution flag against a contingent faith that says, I will believe if or I will believe when. Then Jesus told the father, Go back home, your son will live. This was the moment of truth for the father, the moment he set out on the longest walk. The man believed in the spoken word of Christ. May you do the same. Remember, friends, you are never alone. Johnson is the author of, I don't know, a couple of dozen books. She speaks frequently at events across the country. She's an adjunct professor at Azusa Pacific University and Denver Seminary. She um, has been a spiritual director for more than 20 years. Um, and some of you will know her as the co-author of several books with Dallas Willard, uh, Renovation of the Heart in Daily Practice, um, Dallas's study guide to the divine conspiracy. I mean, on and on and on. And I think that she is now teaching 
um, in Dallas Willard's, um, oh, what's it called, Jan? Kingdom, it's like, well, it's got the word, School of Kingdom it, Living. Yes, and it's sponsored right. by Dallas Willard Ministries that I'm the chair of the board. You're there. not excited. You're not excited about this at all, right? Oh, I mean, I, gosh, girl, I am so jazzed. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, so that's really really exciting. So I just wanted to celebrate that um, that with you. Um, I know that we are officially here to talk today um, about the Prayer and Listening Life Guide Bible Study. So let's talk a little bit about this six session six session uh, Life Guide uh, Bible Study on prayer and listening. Where do you want to start this conversation? Well, I think you know the first session in it is about. How prayer is really conversation with God. And um, and I talk, I go through the many conversations that Abraham and God had together and, and how they just, they kept talking about the covenant over and over. And I think, Carmen, I think that's where we really get lost. We've turned prayer into kind of the the vending machine, you know, where you you put in all your coins. I'm supposed to, you know, beat it to death and and all of that, when it would be better to ask God questions, to ask God, what do I need to know sometimes, rather than just tell God what you think is a good idea, and then just to stay in conversation with God about it. Um, I think of I think of the conversation often that I'm on a park bench with Jesus, and we're talking about this stuff. And, you know, he's gently letting me know things may be a little different than what I thought. <laughs> But God is always with me, and it's going to be okay. So this with me business, right? Because that is a huge part of even getting this conversation started. I, I cannot be a uh, companion to one or abiding in one or with one um, if I am not in, in, a, in, a, in the kind of relationship where conversation, real conversation happens. And I think that for many, many people, the the hurdle is is that far back. I mean, it, it the hurdle yes. is the relational hurdle. And we imagine that we can't talk to God like Abraham talked to God. So help us get over that hurdle. Well, first of all, thank you very much for what you said, because you're right. Um that idea of, is God someone I can even trust? Because Abraham had decided to trust God. And they they went through a lot together, and he didn't always behave, but he really trusted God. And I think this comes back to image of God. Do I believe God is mad at me, or God is mad about me? Am I really sold on the idea that God is for me and wants to partner with me in all kinds of interesting adventures, in your case, having a radio show. Um, and I'm and I'm excited to be on board with God. But it, it really is. It comes back to trusting God, that God is for me. The, the trust issue, I think, is um, is the starting point. I think you're. Uh, so I really wanted to take people there because we cannot move forward into a conversation about, you know, how am I going to listen well to God and how am I going to abide um, there and walk as a companion um, with him if I don't trust God to be God. And so many people, Jan, miss have a 
have a misunderstanding of who God is because they have all kinds of narratives in their in their head and in their heart that just aren't true about who God is. And so I just wanted to start with the affirmation that, you know, God is and God is good and God and you can trust God to be God um every moment. You can trust God to be God in every moment. That's well said. One of the ways that I do this with people is that I walk them through the very famous um, scene of Peter walking on water because people are convinced that God, that Jesus would have been so disappointed in Peter when in fact all Peter was doing was following the dust of his rabbi. He wasn't being an impulsive jerk. He, he did whatever Jesus did. He was a good disciple. I'm sure Jesus' eyes were twinkling when he said, can I come to you on the water? And and he was proud of him. And when he took those first steps, I think it was a lot the way it was for me a few months ago when my granddaughter took her first steps. And when she started to, to fumble, we weren't disappointed in her. We actually clapped. We thought it was great. Nobody ever walked on water, but Peter and Jesus Paul was in a shipwreck. He didn't walk on water. I don't think Jesus was disappointed in him. I think what Peter did was wonderful, but it's those kinds of things where we think God is constantly disappointed in me. Mm. That God is constantly irritated, rolling the eyes. Um, and I think, in other words, Carmen, the way I like to put it is that we've been convinced that we've got a crabby God. And I don't think that's true at all. I think we've read our crabbiness into God. So we've made God in our image rather than looking at what God is really like in Scripture, that endless patience with Israel. We think of the mean God of the Old Testament. I think of the endlessly patient God of the Old Testament, just sticking with Judah no matter what. Even when she went into captivity, it was it was 75 years and she was back or 70 years, and then she was back. Um, God just doesn't give up on us. We give up on people, but God doesn't. Amen. Jan Johnson and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You can uh, visit Jan online at janjohnson.org. We're going to continue the conversation about prayer and listening. Up next, you're on Mornings with Carmen. I'm smelling coffee, birds are singing just outside. Continuing my conversation with Jan Johnson, among other things, the author of Prayer and Listening. It is a part of the Life Guide Bible Study series, and this particular one, Prayer and Listening, has six sessions. They cover everything from conversation with God, praying with authenticity, the prayer of request, listening to God in prayer, praying for others as Jesus did, and practicing God's presence. Um, Jan, let's... um, can you help me understand what spiritual formation is and why a person would want um and and I mean even let's say at 52 I'll use me as an example um crave spiritual direction Okay so we've got two different topics well related spiritual formation first of all is about transformation into Christ-likeness. And it's from the inside out, because we've put a lot of emphasis in our corner of the kingdom 
on doing X, Y, and Z, read your Bible, go to church, pray, and doing all of those things. And that's how we measure a person. And those things can be very helpful, but they aren't the point. The point is oneness with God, moving towards God. And in the midst of that movement towards God, that oneness towards God, the conversation with Jesus that you and I've been talking about, in the midst of that, allowing God to transform us, looking at the ways God's inviting us to be transformed so that you and I become that that wonderful person that our mothers prayed that we would please become, or I like to put it this way, you become the kind of person your dog thinks you already are. Mm. A person who is kind and good, but also firm, also responsible. Um, a person who is like Jesus, who has those qualities, who's authentic and compassionate, um, but also adventurous and bold. Uh, so it's about the inner formation of your character, and um, and it really is the best way to live. And it, it only happens by having a vision of life in the kingdom of God here and now, that you and I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom. So we're back to trusting where we were before um, and and going over that with God, seeing that in Scripture, how it's spelled out. And so formation is about the inward person being formed into Christ's likeness by means of union with God. Really, John 15 describes it well, because mm -hmm. invitation from Jesus is abide in me. And it, it says, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit, love, joy, peace. Oh, wouldn't that be good? Yes. Um, and as we bear fruit, then we become obedient. That's the flow of John 15 right there. The abiding, the bearing fruit, the becoming obedient where you and I start doing the things we've always wanted to do, <laughs> but we just never quite made it. And the more we obey, the more we go, you know what? This is the best way to live. I want to keep doing this. And so we keep abiding in Christ. And, and that can involve a lot of very different things of ways to, to abide in Christ. But the God will show us what is I, the best way to do it. In fact, I like to look at it. The great commandment, my paraphrase of it is, what would it look like to love God for the next 10 minutes? What would it look like to love the person in front of me, my neighbor, the person nigh me, for the next 10 minutes? Stay in the here and now. What does love really look like now? And when we ask God those questions, God shows us. Absolutely. So uh, I wanted I wanted you to share that because spiritual formation is something that it's a it, you know it's two words that we string together and throw around a lot in sort of Christianese. But <laughs> I know that there are a lot of people don't actually haven't like thought through what does it mean to be formed in Christ. It's not just about being informed about what's in the Bible. It is about being transformed into the likeness of who he is. And the abiding in Christ, the union with Christ, is still a mystery to a lot of people. Um, and so I, I appreciate you're doing that. Now let's talk a little bit about spiritual direction um, and why, even as a person who, you know, is a professional Christian, uh, might crave <laughs> spiritual direction, because I think that we have to give ourselves permission at 52 or 62 or 72 or 82 to reach out and um, and invest in spiritual direction, because it's not like 
once we graduate from youth ministry, you know, we're it's all done. <laughs> That's good. Well, when people ask me why would you have a spiritual director, I I kind of present to them this question. Why would you not want to talk to somebody at least once a month about your life with God? Your life with God is the biggest thing in your life, or it's it's growing into that, we could say. And so it would be something you'd really want to pay attention to. Now, people think because it's called spiritual direction, this, this director is going to tell you what to do. But really, a good spiritual director just asks you really good questions and helps you go to God with asking what you need to know. I The way I define it is that we're two people listening together to the Holy Spirit. And it happens much more through asking really good questions. Now and then my directees will ask me about a practice that might help them in a certain area. And I, I do that. But I'm basically just taking them on a journey of what is the next step? What is God inviting me into? And a lot of times reminding them of things they said two years ago. Well, I know that you want this. So what would be, and you feel like God is, is moving you in that direction. So what would be the next step there? So I, it's just delightful. I, I just love it. So thank you for sharing that. I, I want people to be encouraged to move forward in their faith and not just remain wherever they are or accessing whatever they're accessing now. Um, we can go deeper. We can go further. There is a greater intimacy with Christ available, but we have to have some help getting there. Spiritual directors, good spiritual directors, um, help do that. Spiritual formation is the process by which that transformation takes place. Um, Jan Johnson, thank you so much. I want to invite people to visit Jan online at janjohnson.org. You know, what we had specifically in view today is the new Life Guide Bible Study Prayer and Listening. It's a part of the Life Guide Bible Study series. Um, Six lessons on prayer and listening. But Jan Johnson has a wealth of resources. So let me invite you to check those out at janjohnson.org. Jan, thank you uh, for joining us today. Thank you, Carmen. We really appreciate it. We'll be right back. So I'm in the process of, uh, you know, kind of looking at the rest of the year and into next year and planning um, some strategic planning, some just practical. Who should we talk with about what? You know, Advent is going to be here before we know it. Um, who should we talk with in the lead up to that? Between now and then, we are going to elect a new president. How many conversations do we want to have about that? Um, in what direction? Um, and so I just want to ask you, as you're looking ahead, how far out are you looking? And for what? Toward what? When you, when I ask the question, you know, are you looking ahead, Um, Are we talking about events? Are we talking about places? Are we talking about a rhythm of life that is toward the next vacation or um, a rhythm of life that is toward the next holiday, a rhythm of life that is toward the next time you're going to see a particular person, be in a particular place, do a particular thing? 
and and how much looking ahead are we doing in our spiritual lives? So as I look ahead, do I see myself having developed a character quality, having served in a particular way, having a deeper obedience in a particular um, space in my life? So I'm going to encourage you to look ahead today, not just in terms of like calendar planning and checking off the to-do list, but actually considering who do you want to be this time next year? Or who do you want to be by the time we arrive um, at Advent, the last Sunday in November? Uh, by the time we arrive at Thanksgiving, who do you want to be? You want to have developed a new character quality? You want to be at a deeper place with Christ? Well, how are you going to get there? Because the steps that you and I take today actually matter in terms of whether or not we arrive at the place we want to be six or seven weeks from now, six or seven years from now. Um, into eternity. So let's look ahead together today down the road, and then let's consider the very next step we have to take today to move ourselves in that direction. Maybe the first step is getting into the Word of God before you go out there into the world. Maybe it is some time of prayer and listening with the Lord right now. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.